0: Please open your Bibles to 1 John as we continue our look into the to letter of 1 John. We're going to wrap up chapter 3 this morning by God's grace. And Some of you said, man, it's taken us a long time. I can't believe you're thinking that, but we are here. We're going to look at verses 19 through 24. And this is kind of, in this passage this morning, we're going to see something of John, really John's pastoral heart kind of jumps out. Um, if you were here last few weeks, if you've been with us and tracking through this study of first John, we see some wonderful things that, that John wants to communicate. He wants us to be sure that we know him, that we have confidence in our assurance that we have eternal life. I and mean, he sets that precedent and we see that kind of that thought through all of his writings. And he also says, and this isn't taken from chapter five, verse 13, where he says that you would continue. Right? Not only that you would be assured at this moment, but that you would continue. And he kind of touches on that throughout the letter, this idea that there are those who are a part of the fellowship, who have come in, and, and the Gnostics, and they think they have the, the, the greater version or the higher version or the better version of Christianity, whatever you want to call it, and they, they kind of said, you know what, we've got, we got the real deal. It's over here. Come over here with us. And there's this, this confusion happening within this, this little small church, and there are some who are going, well, do they have it or do we have it? And so the, the Gnostics who are, who are, I mean, really that means the knowing ones, and John comes on the scene and says, look, they're not the knowing ones, right? Guys, come on, they're not the knowing You actually are the knowing ones, right? You believe on Christ, which means you have God the Father. You cannot have the Father without the Son. You can't have it both ways. And these guys are saying, well, we, you know, we, we have the Father, we don't need Jesus, right? And that's a big problem. That should jump out and go, uh-uh, problem, time out, right? Because we need Christ. And, and right in the first chapter of the letter, John says what? Right? God is holy, therefore, if he is holy, we have a sin problem. We are not, right? And he, he goes straight for the gospel. Jesus is the propitiation, right? Jesus is your advocate. You have him, right? We need him, and yes, we need him. If we say we haven't sinned, we're, it looks like we're telling God we haven't, you know, he's a liar, he made all this stuff up, and he says, no, this is, this is true. We have a sin problem, right? And so John walks us through, how can we know this? How can we know that we have assurance? Well, we know that there should be a growing, right, sense of righteousness in us. This isn't new to Scripture. John isn't saying, you know, this is how we should go about it. This is this brand new thing. This is, this is the outworking. Paul touches on this in Philippians, right? We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should be growing in these things, in our sanctification, not in earning our salvation, but living it out. So John has this idea. He says, hey, look, you should be growing in your righteousness. You should be growing in your love for your brothers and sisters. Some of you are like, I like the righteousness thing, but I'm not so sure in that one. Well, then, guess what, right? They, they go together. And then he kind of builds on that. He's saying, look at these commandments. It's not a new thing I'm teaching. It's not a new thing, but these are the commandments of God. And they should be growing. You should have a hunger for truth, right? These should be indicators in you. You're going, and so he walks us through, and he comes into chapter 3, and he says, look, there's this profound love that God has given to you. I want you to take a time out and just think on it. I want you to ponder this for a moment, because if you're like me, or I mean most people, right, have this idea, well, we focus on the negative things, right? Well, this is where I failed, so let's let's spend a lot of time thinking about this failure. We have that tendency. We're we're usually the the hardest on ourselves, right? (laughs) And he comes and says, You know, I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about this wonderful truth that has come. That this amazing God outside of us has sent his son into this world. This love is not from here, right? That's kind of his, it's from another country, right? It's from another world. It's outside of this place. And John says, You need to really think, take some time, and think on this. And that becomes very important this idea of this is how we know. Right? This is how we know. We know who God is. And, who, and so he unfolds this, this chapter here, and he gets to this point where we're going to talk about today. We're talking about doubt. This is why I say we see John's pastoral heart come in. You know, He's, he's communicated all these things, and, he, and I'm sure maybe he's thinking, maybe I'm not sure he's thinking this, but I think he's thinking this, that no matter what I have said, there's going to be some who are going to have a heart that says, I'm not so sure. If you remember from last week, we talked about, he gives this, I, one of my favorite verses, this is how we know what love is. How do you know what love is? How do you know what self-sacrificing love is? Well, it's, it's Jesus. He laid down his life for you. That's that thought, right? That John says, you need to ponder on that. And then John immediately goes, you know, we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now that sounds good, right? I would love to tell somebody, hey, if there's ever a moment right, where I can lay down my life for you, that sounds good. But in reality, do we think that's ever going to play out? Maybe, maybe not. So John kind of quickly turns the corner on that and he says, if you see a brother or a sister in the, in the family of God that is in need and you have the goods, you have the means in which to help that person, Right? This is practical application. And you don't. And he says, how is the love of God in you? How is it abiding in you? How are you, why are you holding on to this world when, when, when God has given you so much? Your desire should be, you know what, I can meet that need. I can't meet all of them, but I can do that one. Right? That's where John says, yeah, you should get going. And then he says, you know what, we shouldn't love in just tongue, right? We shouldn't just say, hey, I'm sorry you're going through that, good luck with that. Right? Well, if we should go, you know, our love should be an action. Love is a verb, right? It's an action. So you should take that step and do it, right? In deeds and in work, let's do something about it. And so he kind of comes to this place, and he comes to this passage this morning, and he says, all right, I know some of you might be thinking, right? I have a heart that maybe I haven't loved, or maybe I've failed in this, or maybe I haven't done enough, or maybe I, maybe I don't know. And so John comes on this scene and says, okay, there's this idea maybe of doubt. Let's talk about it for a little bit. And let's give you some tools or some reasons and how you can process through this. And here's God's truth on the matter, right? It's doubt in the Christian life. Doubt can be one of these things that can really, I mean, it can ruin somebody. It can ruin us right out of fellowship. It can ruin us right out of of attending church. It can bring all those questions if we don't deal with it. If we don't square up and say, you know what? What does the Bible say about this? Because doubt can own oh, nice. us. There was a story of, uh, of a man by the name of Carl Rogers, who was a, a psychologist. And when he was 22 years old, he entered the Union Theological Seminary in New York in 1924. It says he went on, he participated in a, in a seminar organized to explore religious doubts. Hey, let's get into these doubts and explore them. He later said, and this is a quote, The majority of the members, in thinking their way through questions they raised, thought themselves right out of religious work, of which I was one. They pondered and thought about these doubts so much that they concluded, surely there can't be a God who can answer this. It's unfortunate that in a seminar like that, they didn't also get to the place of what Scripture talks about that. How does Scripture help us in this idea of doubting? This is what John says, and this is in chapter 3, beginning in verses 19, and we'll read through 24, and he says, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Wonderful word, assure our hearts. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. In verse 24, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning, which I'm sure is a topic many of us at, at one point or another have thought about and maybe have wrestled through. And so I ask this morning, Lord, for clarity, that you allow me to get out of the way, that every life and thought and mind would be fixed upon the truth of your word That it would resonate in us. I thank you for it, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we come to this place where um, John has walked us through some wonderful things. Right, and as I said earlier, we see his pastor's heart come out, and it's almost like he's walked through all of this, and he's given all this evidence, and he's giving these tests, and he's saying, "Here it is, you can know." And then he kind of thinks maybe he's maybe he's making some eye contact, and it's not happening. But the idea of like, well, they're not they're not all tracking with this, right? So let's let's take a break. And he, he comes right out and says, "If your heart is condemning you, if you have a heart that is condemning you." Well, that's pretty severe, right? He says, almost in the same breath, we, have, we can be assured, but then he turns around and says, if your heart is, is condemning you. And this can happen in a matter of different ways in our lives. If you think about it, some of us are a little bit more, have that disposition of, of introspection, right? We like to analyze and mull over and think about it, and pretty soon you're just like, you know what? I can't even get up today. I'm so depressed of this because I've molded it over so much, right? I don't know if you've ever done that, right? It's just, it can't be, it's just this, this is bad, right? This is really bad. Let me think through. Oh, this is bad. And, and pretty soon, doubt's there, and it, it just, it's crippling, right? It keeps you from going and moving forward. Some of us, maybe it's a, it's a health issue. Maybe it's a matter in our lives where we've prayed about this. I have over and over again gone to the Lord, and man, it's just not, it's not what I think. And so we can tend to think that the Lord's busy with somebody else, or I'm not that important, or I, I've tried that um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and try this now, right? We kind of get to this place. Maybe it's something about a, a specific sin, or maybe there's just circumstances in our lives that we come across, or we kind of conclude, you know, maybe the Lord is someplace else. He's not, clearly, he's not walking with me. And for us, we have to say, well, John, what's, what's the answer? If we're, if we're struggling with doubt, what, what do I do with it? Right, if I'm in this moment, maybe that's you. This morning, you know, John's answer to you is quite simple. His answer is knowledge. I mean, really, that's it. There is something that you need to understand about the gospel. He's begun chapter 3, and we'll, and we'll see this play itself out, and he's very circular in his thinking. And he begins chapter 3, and he says, this is how you know, right? In verse 1, this is how you know that, that, that you are a part of him. This is how you know you have God. He says in verse 1, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him, right? When Christ dwells in you, he, we, we know him. This is why the world doesn't it doesn't know him like you do. And John comes back to this idea of knowledge, right? We know. We know this. This is a fact. And so his answer to this, and it seems very simple, and some of you might be thinking, I have doubt in my knowledge. I don't know, right? I don't know if I know that I know that I know. Maybe I don't know that. You know, we kind of go on to this circular thing. But John is saying, if you know that God is true, if you've pondered and, and thought about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, the work that he has done, the grace that has been extended to you, and the fact that we are the ones who are the, who are the rebels. We are the ones who stood opposed. We are the ones who were aliens. We are the ones on the other side of this chasm between a holy God, and John says this, right? The beginning of chapter one, there is this God, his light, there's no darkness in him, right? He is pure, he is holy. You are not, guess what? God fixed it. He gave Christ, right? And he says this knowledge, this becomes very important for us that we understand what God has done. And so John walks us through these steps. What I think, and they all build upon themselves, right? Our faith and our understanding of the knowledge based on on who Christ is and what Christ has done. But out of the gate, John says this, and this is my first point, is that you, if you're struggling this morning, or you've had moments where you maybe have doubted a little bit, John's answer to you is not only understanding this knowledge, but to deal with your condemning heart. You have to deal with it. Don't let this fester or grow. He says in verses 19 and 20, And by this we know that we are of the truth. Right? We know. By this we know we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. That's good news, right? He's greater than my heart. And he knows all things wonderful attribute. God is omniscient. He knows all things. So John comes and says, look, you're struggling with some doubt this morning and, and you're kind of, this thing is kind of holding on to you. He says, you kind of have to square up and deal with it. Right? You've got to deal with this. And he gives this kind of this uh, two references. Right? If you will, he kind of goes approaches it and says, here's two things you should be doing. Right? Just as we talked about love isn't just something in word and, and it should be an action. And he kind of comes to this place of like, guess what? You should be engaging Decide to deal with your condemning heart. And the first one looks, what what I'm going to say is looks back, right? And the the second one kind of looks forward. But the first one is that you should ponder on, think about, is your acts of love. How do we deal with our condemning heart? By our acts of love. And and this is is referencing back, as John says in in, uh, the beginning of this, My excuse me, in 19, by this we know, right? By this. What is this. By this. We're saying your, your acts, right? We talked about this last, this last week, your love in action. And it's important to understand that John is not talking about uh, something in a, in a general sense, right? He's not talking about your love in a general sense, I have this love. Remember, he's, it's very specific. It's a self-sacrificing kind of love, right? He uses Jesus as the illustration, Christ has done this for you. So we should, what, take what we have and meet a need of someone else. And John says this is kind of the way we deal with our condemning heart we deal with our doubt right because if we take it in a general sense we might think well did I love enough right have I loved enough do I even love at all do I love my brothers and sisters I mean really do I really love them so John says you know what don't take this as a general sense because that probably leads to more doubt but he says think of a very specific sense where is that moment in your life where you've actually stepped out and you've done this where you've gone the extra step, gone the distance, and you've shown your love. By this, we know love, right? Verse 16, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Where is this moment in which you have stepped out? And, and John is saying this is a very uh, telling indicator, right? To deal with our condemning heart. You can come and say this, indicates this, I know when I have done this. Now, it's important to interject here that John isn't talking about justification or earning salvation, Right? Don't go, go get into this idea that if I do these things or I, I create this list and I check this box off, then in there I'm good. Right? I'm good with God. That's not what he's getting at. Right? Justification, and he's going to talk about this a little bit throughout this passage, is because of Christ and because of Christ and because he laid down his life for me. My sanctification, my living out is to love my brothers and sisters. It is the application right, of my justification, living it. And he's saying when those specific moments, when you are doing this, he's saying that. Those times, those positive times, not in the general, but very specific, those are what we need to combat our condemning heart, our doubt. This is what we need to lean upon. Do not look to your failures, right? That's what he's saying. Hey, if we look in the general sense, we might we focus on the failures. He says, you know what? Don't look at your failures. Christians have many of them, right? Don't all look at me at that one. No, you are. That's fine. We all have failures, right? We have many of them. But he says, but rather look for those specific acts where you see the Holy Spirit operating. This is the evidence. You live it out. We are not to indulge in our feelings here. John doesn't say any of this. He doesn't encourage introspection. He doesn't even encourage us to pray about this. None of that is here, right? He doesn't say, stop and and just go and pray about it. He's more focused on, you know, no, this specific act. Did you see this in your life? This is how we deal with our condemning hearts. So we see the first one that looks back, and then he goes, you know what, also, right? Also in this, if you see these moments, because he says, by this, your good deeds, my action, my love and action, it helps me my condemning heart. Then he goes, looking forward, he says, what I'm saying is by God's acts and word. All right, Verse 20, if our heart condemns us, God is greater. God is greater. God is far greater, right? He knows all things. So if we're struggling this morning and we're, we're squaring up, we're going to deal with our doubt, John is saying this. Look on those specific acts in your life where you have done this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, of the right motive, where you've loved someone and gone the extra mile. He says, this is a help. The other thing is to come back once again and think upon God. If your heart is still struggling in this, what has God done? God's greater than your heart. God's greater than your doubt. God's greater than all of this, right? And He says, come back, think on this, ponder on this, give it some thoughts. God knows what is best, God knows what is better. We see this once again played out in the beginning of this chapter. Behold, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What manner of love God has bestowed. Isn't this the greatest act that God could ever do? He sends his son to be a propitiation. It's God's means for salvation. John wants to reassure his readers that God, who knows all, has forgiven us on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. It's very important for John. Do you understand that? These are God's acts, right? These are, this is God's word. Our confidence is not in our experience, but in the fact of who God is. The acts of God and in his word you know, Romans, Paul is a great expression of this in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, where he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. Right, ponder on that. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. He is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Think on that for a moment. Right? God sends His Son to pay a price for us. We are the ones who rebelled. We are the ones who broke the covenant. We are the ones who separated ourselves. We are the ones who said, oh, I know what, we're going to do it our way. We are the ones who have that willful rebellion, right? John defines it. What is sin? It is lawlessness. It is the rebellion behind God's law. I don't want God's law. We've said this over and over. We see it in our own lives, and yet, what does God do? God sends his son. God takes care of the problem, right? And not only that, he becomes an intercessor for us. Christ, who intercedes on your behalf. It's not enough. You think about this and go, how mighty and And magnificent is God. And for you and I this morning to really understand how massive the gospel is, just how wonderful it is, you have to really understand two things, right? The doctrine of God that He is holy. Nobody comes into His presence. Right? We have instances in Scripture, we think of Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, I am undone. Right? I oh, I don't belong here. The closer you get to God's holiness, you become more aware that this is a place I do not belong. Right? God is holy. We must understand the doctrine of God. And the second part, to really understand what is how, how mighty and massive the, the gospel is, is to understand our separation, our sin, our sin. Put him on that cross. Yet God loves us. God does this. And Jonathan, if you have doubt, if you're struggling, right look on these, these moments, your deeds, right by this, not in word, right? Not in lip service, but in action. you see those actions? Should help us. That's right. That was Holy Spirit driven because I understood what Christ has done. He motivated me properly to love someone. Then he says, if that's not enough, your heart still condemns you. Look to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what God has done. Ponder on this. Think on this. God is greater than your heart. He's greater, right? Than any of your doubts and what your struggles might be. God is greater. And so the first step to this, and they build upon themselves. This is, this is really step one, and you have to do this. You have to deal with your condemning heart. You have to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to square up and, and attach God's scripture to this, and this is what it says. Because everything builds, John builds upon this. It's very important that you gain some confidence, right? And this leads to my second point, where, where I'm saying we need to cultivate your confidence towards God. So if we're dealing with our, this, or with, our excuse me, with our doubt, it's going to say guilt and doubt at the same time there, I think. Creating new words, right? But if we're dealing with our doubts and we're, and we're developing in this, the next natural thing that flows is a confidence towards God, right? So we need to cultivate this. We cultivate it by dealing with our condemning hearts. Verses 21 through 23, He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, right? I've dealt with my condemning hearts. So I'm, I'm free from that. I have understood the gospel. And he says, look, If your heart doesn't condemn you, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, it's important, I think, here to, to think about doubt. I've heard people say, you know, it's kind of good sometimes to have some doubt because it becomes a, we can use it as a, as a motivator, if you will, that, that if I have some doubt, well, I better be in church on Sunday. And, and then, you know, if I have some doubt, well, I better make sure I pray. But I don't think this is how John is approaching any of this. I think he thinks doubt, regardless, is bad, right? He comes to this idea, and he says, our confidence or our lack of confidence before God affects our relationship with God. So John is saying, look, if you have doubt, we need to deal with that, right? Because your confidence in coming to God is affected by this. This is why John, right out of the beginning, says, deal with it, right? If you're struggling with doubt, deal with it. Bring that to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, cultivate, right? Grow in your confidence. So this is what we learn. If we're dealing with our doubt and we're saying, you know what? I've believed upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know who he is. I know what God has done. I see the sacrifice. I'm growing in these things. Then John says, if this is happening and you've dealt with your condemning heart, well, then you can have confidence to approach God. You can have confidence to approach God. You can grow in your prayer life. And everyone said, amen, right? Prayer is important. I love how the early church really treated prayer. It wasn't like, hey, let's get together and have a prayer meeting, right, or something to that effect. Prayer was the lifeblood of the church. It should be our lifeblood. Everything we should do should be saturated in prayer. And John is saying, look, you have this confidence. If you're dealing with your doubt, excuse me, you can have confidence towards God. You can approach God, right? And this is the fruit of the byproduct of our justification, right? When we know what Christ has done, that moment of salvation, I know that I am saved not because of me, because of a Savior, right? I'm justified because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And when I know that, right? When I know that, I'm confident of that. I'm dealing with those doubts. No, I know who He is. Just like when Paul tells Timothy, I know in whom I have believed. Yes, I know in whom I have believed too, His name is Jesus. And when we know that, right, we see the the fruit or the byproduct of that in our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, right, in Christ alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Right? We have this access. We can come to God. That's good news, right? Think about this separation. Think about how God is holy and just. There's no darkness in God and there's this problem and God takes care of it. Now He says, you know what? I want you to come into this throne room of grace, right? Come and pray. That's great confidence. Don't you see how doubt keeps us from praying? Right? If I'm struggling with doubt, I, I don't know if God's moved. Maybe He won't move this time. I don't know. He can't handle this. Why even bother, right? We should be assured of who he is and grow in this confidence. Now, John has used this word confidence before. In uh, chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So here he uses the word in the sense when God comes back. Right? We don't want to be the ones that are, that are looking at our shoes when Jesus returns and he, he's making eye contact. Right, We want to avoid that. Oh, no, yeah, look down there. Right? He's saying, no, you should have confidence in this. When he comes back, we are following after him. We are trusting him. We should have confidence and boldness in this. So he uses that word this way, but here in this passage, he's talking about the, the turning to in prayer. Regardless of what you're going through this morning, if you know him, we can turn to him. We can come before him with all our requests. Not one is unimportant. Hebrews four fifteen through 16 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see that, that as we deal with our condemning heart, we grow in our confidence towards God. We can approach God in prayer, and that's very important. We grow in this confidence. John goes on to say, and this is, this is a wonderful statement in verse 22, where I'm calling, it's confidence in answered prayers. He says in verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I think this is a pretty amazing claim here. It's not some Christians or the right Christians or the Christians who do the right things, so to speak, who look good, walk good, and do all those things. But he says this is for every Christian in every instance. It is for you as long as you fulfill two conditions. And these conditions are to keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to him. If you think about that, those, don't those sound very s- similar, right? I know if I keep his commandments, those are pleasing. If I'm doing pleasing to him, then I'll be keeping his commandments. Right? They kind of sounds circular, but I think there's a little bit more to it that John is, is kind of revealing to us, because I think keeping his commandments kind of uh, invokes the idea of external works, right? The things that we go and do, right? We go and do these things, the commandments of God. See that throughout Scripture, right? The objective kind of component. But the idea of those things that are pleasing in his sight, I think, kind of goes beyond the external standard, right? I think it carries the idea that if, if we're going to serve God and be pleasing to God, it's, it's kind of desiring to honor God in every area of my life, whether his word says something directly to that or not. It's like a, a parent who desire, or excuse me, a child who desires to honor his parents by just doing those things, right? I just shouldn't have to ask you to do this. They just do it. It's that idea, and I think that John is getting at it saying, you know, as you follow the Lord and as, as you grow in this confidence and you begin to understand more what He has done of the gospel, then you kind of develop this idea that 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 or some say this conviction that I want to honor the Lord with all that I am, not just on Sunday, right, when I come to church, but on Monday morning when I'm when I'm in the workplace, I want to, I want to honor Him with my with my life and how I treat my spouse. I'm going to honor Him with how I raise my kids. I'm going to honor him with my finances. I'm going to acknowledge that that, that all of this is his. I'm going to do it his way. And I think that's the idea that John is getting at. He's not giving us a new new doctrine here or a new teaching. It's not, it's not like he's making this up and saying, This is how you go about it, right? Jesus said in, in John 16, 23 through 24, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Right? The idea of coming and fulfilling. If we're gonna keep his commandments and do that is that is pleasing, then we can pray with total confidence that we can come before the Lord. And we see these phrases keep his commandments, do what is pleasing. And Jesus saying, if you ask, right, in my name, we see this kind of this developing uh, motive or, or mentality that, that kind, of, kind of sets behind all these requests, all these ideas of answered prayers. What's sitting behind this? It is the desire to, to be pleasing. When you think about all the rules and all the things of the, of the Old Testament, the law and all the things that they added to it, you can almost see, you know, John kind of thinking back on Jesus' face as he began to simplify this for us, right? You think of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, the many times Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I tell you, all the corrections and all the things that would come out. Isn't it our tendency to say, well, if, you've, if you follow this way, then you've got to do this, and then you've got to do this, and then you've got to do this. And, and I wonder if John is just kind of thinking about Jesus' facial expressions, right? When He dealt with some of the religious leaders of his day. And he simplifies it for us, right? And he comes and he says, look, and this is the commandment. Let's let's boil this down because this is most important. If we want to see prayers answered, John says, this is the commandment that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You know, it's interesting how John uses the word in a singular sense, but we fulfill it in two ways. Here's the commandment. He's summarizing it. Here it is. Here it is. One thing, right? Fulfilled in two ways. Faith in Christ, love one another. Right? This is the work of God. John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. Jesus summarizes the law in what? You can love God, love man. This This is the summary, right here. Here it is. Mark 12, right? 28. And then one of the scribes came and having heard them. Reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Right, Which is the most important one, Jesus? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second like it, in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment commandment greater than these. So John is saying what? We're going to come to this idea of answered prayers. right? I have confidence to grow in my, my approach meant to God. I can come and pray and I can grow my confidence that God is going to answer my prayers. And we see this fulfilled. And John says, look, if you do what? If I love God with all that I am, my heart, my soul, my mind, all that I am. If I love him and I begin to love my neighbors, I love myself. In this we can see prayers answered. Now, it's important for us to understand that, that John is not giving us a blank check here and saying, look, right? if you do these things, he's giving you a blank. You just fill it out, right? And whatever you say, it's, it's going to happen. No, what is happening here? Right? The more we walk with the Lord, the more we deal with our doubt, and we say, you know what, I'm going to bring this under the power of God's word. And the more we say, you know what, I'm going to grow in my confidence to approach this holy God that I have no right to come before except through Christ and Him alone. As I come before Him in Jesus' name, and I desire that He would He would glorify Himself. What are what are you actually beginning to do? We are beginning to pray just as Jesus prayed. Or not my will, but your will be done. Lord, this is my desire in this, but God, not my will, your will be done. Some of the requests, right? Some of the times we, we think God misses a lot of opportunities to come early, right? But he's never late. Lord, you could come now. That would be great. But not my will, yours, God, yours be done. Lord, it, it becomes my desire that I want to see your son glorified. And I, and I trust you, you know what is best. You're greater than my heart. You're greater than my struggles. You're greater than this. So, Lord, move in the way that only you can. And we begin, I believe, as you begin to pray, right? God, your will, I trust in you. Don't we see answered prayers? Don't we see God changing and moving? It may not be what I request. Lord, I I want you to do this. I know we get into this area of sovereignty, and I don't know why God waits, and I don't know why God, I wish I could tell you all that. When you get to heaven, you can ask those questions, right? But we see the, the motive behind, that sits behind this. In my life, I want you to be glorified. That's more important. And God's desire is to what? Believe on my son. Know him. John is saying what? Ponder this gospel. Know him. Right? What doesn't that deal with our condemning heart? Doesn't that deal with our doubts? God is greater. He's moved in these ways. I can have confidence to approach God. And I realize that as I do this and I'm praying this way and I have this motive and this passion, then I can see God is answering prayers because there's a change. There's a change in us, and we begin to operate in what? Confidence. Confidence towards God. You know what? He's done this before. Yes, yeah, that's right. He can do it again. And it becomes circular. If he's done it before, he can do it again. If he's done it before, he can do this again. And John says, look, in order for you to get there, you've got to deal. When, when doubt creeps in, deal with it. See the actions, the Holy Spirit working in your life. Understand and ponder and think upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you do that, it gives you confidence. I know what Christ has done for me. I know what he's done. He's, he's taken my, he took my sin to the cross. I know that. I can approach God. and As I honor him with my life, I pray what God desires. I'm praying, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. It's not a blank check, right? But I believe it becomes an ongoing experience for the believer. And this naturally, this leads to my last point, it naturally grows, right, as we do this and we see this happening. What I'm saying in verse 24 is we need to trust the abiding Holy Spirit. Right, we deal with the condemning heart, we cultivate our confidence towards God, and we trust in the abiding Holy Spirit. John says in verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know, there's our word, right, we know he abides in us by what? The Spirit whom he has given us. Here we see the idea of John kind of introducing a new thought, really. This idea of, of, of mutual abiding. Christ in us and the believer and the believer in Christ. And he says this is all done by what? Power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing if you, if you do a study on the, on the Trinity. Don't you see John unfolding the Trinity in, through, through this chapter? What manner of love God has bestowed on you. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus who laid down his life for you. Guess what? There's also the third person, the Trinity, who's active and abiding in you. Right? God is not absent. Man. He is moving. And he introduces this idea, and we might have this tendency to think that maybe this, the Spirit is kind of the indwelling, or, or maybe it's something that's subjective, and I don't think this is John's idea at all through this. John is saying, look, the Spirit is evidence of this action. As the Spirit moves in your, in, in your life, you're going to see a conduct change, right? We're going to see confidence in prayer. We're going to see a, a growth in righteousness. We're going to see a growth for, for the church, for my brothers and sisters, a genuine growth that does isn't say, hey, good luck with that, but a growth that says, you know what? I may not be able to meet all that, but I'll walk with you through this. I'll stand with you through this. And I, maybe there's something else God can do through me or help you or whatever it might be, but there's a growing love for God's church because you begin to look at others a little differently, Right? You see them as, as, as God loves them, as God knows them, as God has created them. And so you're, you're changing through all of this, and your confession through all of this becomes, you know what, Jesus paid a, a huge price for me, and I understand that. And how can I love you? How can I move forward? And you begin to see these things in your life. And John is saying this, by this, all this, we see these things happening because God's Spirit is in us. So we need to trust The Holy Spirit, if we are to assure our hearts, when we feel our heart condemning us, then we must look for the evidence of the Spirit enabling us to believe on Christ and to obey His commandment. Love God, right? Love our neighbors as we see these things moving out. The Spirit is at work. I think this is really amazing because this really is a return to the starting point of this chapter. John, once again, k- begins and ends with the gospel. Isn't this, is how, do you, how do you know? This morning, how do you know, right? Gnosko, that Greek word, how do you know? How do you know this? Because you're apart from the world. You know, he tells you that when the world attacks you, don't, don't marvel at that, right? Cain, he attacked Abel. Why? Because Abel was righteous. You know. If you represent Christ and you're part of the family of God, you're going to have an issue in the world. Don't marvel at that. Understand that. They hated him first. And you represent him. Yeah, they're going to come after you. You know that. Right? You see, you see the idea of thinking and knowing and understanding. Why is Christianity not built on an emotion? Because one day we may think, yeah, he's close. Feels good. And the next day we know it. We live life. I don't know where God's at at all. I don't feel him anywhere, right? It's not built on emotion. It's built on a knowledge. I know in whom I have believed. I know this, and I trust him. I trust in the working of the Spirit of God in my life because I've given my life, I've believed on Christ. Not just in the difficult times, right? But in all the time. And John is saying, if you're struggling with doubt, right, it's important you come and pray. But for the Christian, right, working and living this out, prayer, trust in God, understanding the gospel, is not something that's the last thing we get to. I've tried everything else, oh my goodness. We're finally at trying God, right? Is it really that bad? We're finally to that point, right? It should never be that way. Our walk with the Lord should begin with prayer, begin with trust, know that he is. And when doubt creeps in, and it will, the enemy loves to use doubt, right? No one may have seen you do that, but I saw you do that. That's that lie, right? He starts in the garden, he's been lying, right? He's the father of lies. This is what he does, he lies. John's saying don't let that lie fester, deal with it. Bring it right into the authority of God's word. Take every thought captive, as Paul says, right? Bring it under the authority of Christ. Deal with it, right? And maintain that confidence. Grow that confidence in who God is, what God has done. I can approach him. I can pray this way, right? And God's going to use me. And it's time, brothers and sisters, that we, we look at these things and say, you know what? It's the challenge, right, that God is saying is for me not to be sitting on my hands or sitting on my talents, if you will, but to put them to action. All this is built on it action, love this way, confidence this way, and a God who moves, right?